atmosphere, Restore will bring your body back to life. Try the large menu of services to fit what your body needs from cryotherapy, IV drips, B12 shots, to hyperbaric oxygen therapy, compression, or just plain relaxation and beauty. It will make you feel amazing. Get the treatment that today's athletes receive and make your body feel better so you can feel better. Visit Restore Hyper Wellness and Cryotherapy, 1550 North Green Valley Parkway, just off the 215 in Green Valley Parkway in the Smith Shopping Center. For more information, go to Restore.com. Do more with Restore. Does your bug issue need a fix? Call 725-204-0146. Mitchell Pest Solutions provides commercial and residential pest control solutions. We are family owned and operated, so we care about your family and pets too. No job is too big or too small. Find us at MitchellPestSolutions.com or on social media at MitchellPestLV. Mitchell Pest Solutions, your solutions provider. The T.C. Martin Show. Weekday afternoons at 2 on 1400 KSHP North Las Vegas. Online. At KSHP.com. Ladies and gentlemen. Ali, a sneaky right hand. Another sneaky right hand. This time he works over the shoulder of Foreman. this Wednesday. Glad to have you with us. Appreciate Eric Harper joining us, the new UNLV Athletic Director. You know, it's the interim tag. I'm rooting for a guy like that. You know, he's been here nine years. Not a transplant coming in. You know, Paid his dues, knows the program, yeah. Yeah. is loyal to UNLV, loves the city. Good so, stuff. So, yeah. yeah All right. Say. Looking forward to tomorrow night's game, too. The UNLV, UNLV taking on Eastern Washington tomorrow night. All right. Uh, Al Bernstein's going to join us a little bit later on this hour, so hang tight for that. Uh, he's fresh off of his uh, calling on Showtime, the pay-per-view of Jake Paul and Tyrone Woodley. So we'll, we'll dive into that a little bit uh, as well, too. Yes, as he went to Cleveland, Ohio, to check out some, uh, some fights. And hopefully the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. As well, too. That'd be nice. There you go. As we continue with the music music theme here. All right. Uh, our next guest, uh, he's uh, kind of eclectic, too, uh, w- with music. And uh, uh, the marvelous one, Mark Ratner, is going to join us. And I uh, want to get Mark's take on one of the stories that we talked about yesterday in our terrible Tuesday takes here, uh, where we talked about it. And uh, I don't know if the world was listening, Frank, or what, because uh, now it's caught wildfire and, and everyone's talking about it. And even on ESPN earlier today on, on Outside the Lines, they were talking about it. But as we talked about yesterday, it, uh, it was the story of the, um, how do I want to say this, the, the fictional you know, high, high school uh, in in Columbus, Ohio, the school that wasn't right, I- exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, yesterday we we had talked about Bishop Sycamore, and again, like I talked about yesterday, I've known uh, several bishop schools all within the Catholic diocese, but I've never known one named after a fig tree. So, uh, you know, a l- little interesting. But 
High school football, ESPN televised the game on Sunday with IMG Academy versus Bishop Sycamore. You know, most of these games are usually the best against the best. And IMG ended up winning the game, you know, 58 to nothing. But uh, the problem uh, with this game was once it was non-competitive, you know, we started noticing there was a lot of problems with this game, uh, specifically the team that uh, IMG was playing, uh, Bishop Sycamore. So uh, ESPN has taken a lot of heat, you know, for this game. uh, And they were passing off a lot of the blame with another company, Paragon Marketing, who lines up the matchups and suggests to ESPN, okay, this is going to be a good matchup. Well, it, it wasn't a matchup at all. It was so bad that even the ESPN commentators were talking about how lopsided this game was. This is throwing a bantam weight with just a few fights under its belt into the ring against essentially your heavyweight champion. So, so yeah. So at that point in time, it, it was thirty to nothing. Uh, then they went on to talk about uh, a little bit deeper dive of really trying to find out. Well, who was this team, Bishop Sycamore? What were they all about? And uh, they basically gave an on-air apology during the game. Bishop Sycamore told us they had a number of Division I prospects on their roster. To be frank, a lot of that we could not verify. And they did not show up in our database. They did not show up in the databases of other recruiting services. So it's okay. If that's what you're telling us, fine. That's how we take it in. From what we've seen so far, this is not a fair fight, and and there's got to be a point now, Lutz, where you do worry about health and safety. I already am worried about it. I, I think it's um, this is this could potentially be dangerous. All right. Uh, so the rosters were actually different when they got on the air than they were given before. Then they found out that they played a game on Friday night. This game was on, on Sunday. They played a game two nights earlier, and then uh, upon getting blown out. And then not looking like a competitive football team, uh, questions arose about why this game was even scheduled, and then the train wreck uh, ensued. So, we have an update, and upon further review now, uh, we look at basically like an investigation of how this game got to be on ESPN. Now, we mentioned ESPN contracted the company Paragon Marketing to put this thing together, and then we start looking at it, and we say, okay, well, who is Bishop Sycamore? Well, they were 0-6 last season. They were outscored 342-49. to 49. Their physical address is a rec center, which we talked about yesterday, in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, there actually is no school to speak of. There's a sketchy website. And as we talked about yesterday, the Ohio Department of Education doesn't list a charter school under the name of Bishop Sycamore. So the latest update today, now the Columbus Dispatch uh, did uh, send a reporter to go dive into the story, as did ESPN, because they've got egg on their face. So they even had Lisa Salters talk about this on Outside the Lines today. So the update were, these players weren't even high school players. Many of them were junior college dropouts, ranging from the ages of 19 to 21. And Coach Roy Johnson was fired after all this you know, became public knowledge here in the last couple of days. The website was deactivated. Upon further review, there's no curriculum whatsoever. They had three students registered in this, I guess, so-called school, but never attended any classes. And when you start looking at this schedule, and people say, well, why did they go to the means of doing this? Because they wanted to collect a check. Because they were getting paid, really, in a sense, obviously not as, as big of money, but no different than UNLV paying Eastern Washington to come here, or Florida State paying Bethune-Cookman to come. And yes, these schools, like IMG Academy and Bishop Gorman's of the world, I mean, they they do get money for appearing on ESPN since ESPN got in the the high school football game. So when you start looking at the schedule for the rest of the season for Bishop Sycamore, Liberty High School here in Las Vegas actually is on the schedule. They have a game scheduled with them, or did have a game scheduled with them, uh, coming up here um, at the end of October. So you put all this together, and now you find out that Roy Johnson is facing several lawsuits as well. He's going to trial 
for a $100,000 loan that, that he tried to get, I guess. And uh, he partnered up with former Ohio State football player Jay Richardson. They went in, they looked at uh, some documents. They actually owed a hotel balance of $110,000 going back to 2018. So, wow, this story continues to get crazier and crazier. I, I, I don't know how ESPN, and again, I, I know they said, well, they gave us the information, so we took them at their word or whatever. Not really sure how that actually gets you in one of the TV games. I'll be honest, after we did this story, last night on ESPNU and that, I was checking, because the, they were showing a bunch of high school football games, and I was hoping that that was going to be one of the things that, because I wanted to see it, because I didn't see it when it happened there, so obviously they were... Smart enough not not to put that as one of the games that they showed. But when you first said that, you said they played a game on Friday and then they played on Sunday. I'm like, well, how did that get sanctioned by anybody? How was that okay in the first place? What happened in that game? Where do they practice? Do they do they just take a bus and take it through the neighbors and say, hey, who wants to play a game today or whatever? I mean, it's like and, – and I know – ESPN says that, well, we kind of took them at their word, and they said, well, we couldn't verify everything. No, the correct say, you couldn't verify anything because nothing they told you is true. They don't have D1 players. They don't have guys going to college because they don't even have a school. I mean, we know that some kids in schools and that are notorious for allegedly not going to class. Well, these kids at least have an excuse for it. There is no class. So I have some experience you know, going back to my high school coaching days with, with schools like this, because they are all over the place. And they're usually run by coaches who can't get other high school jobs. And they, a lot of them have good intentions, though. I will say that. They're good hearted people that want to help kids, but they also are out there to make a name for themselves. And then there are coaches that also want to scam as well, too, and try to, you know, get paid for this and earn money for this. And they try to use it as profit. And I know. Just in the Sacramento community, there were a couple schools that they tried to label as charter schools, and they operated out of a church, or then they tried to build a school. And over years, there are some of these schools that actually succeeded, but they weren't sanctioned by the by the CIF, which is the you know California Interscholastic Federation. You know, um, but you know there are other times when you know. I would have people calling me as an athletic director and say, hey, we'd like to play you. And I'd say, okay, well, where's your school? I've never heard of your school. So this is out there, and this is a nationwide problem. But to get to this level where you sell a bill of goods to ESPN and this marketing company and get a check uh, you know, and get on national television, yeah, that's when it, it really gets the attention of, of everyone nationwide. I want to bring in our good friend, the marvelous one, Mark Ratner. Uh, like we mentioned, uh, Mark still very involved and has been very involved in the high school scene here in Las Vegas as, as the director of officials um, you know, with the NIAA. Mark, what's going on, my man? Well, first of all, uh, you started off with the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I, I, I turned down Ted Nugent just for you guys. Oh, thank you very much. Across. The, too heavy. There you go. Of course. I love it. I love it. Again, Mark's another one of our music guys as well, too. So, Mark, when you hear about this story and you heard about this story, uh, what were your thoughts? Well, you know, we have a lot of intersectional big games here. We have something coming up called the Polynesian Classic with the number one team in the country legitimately, maybe next to IMG, and that's a modern day out of out of L.A. And, and they're playing Liberty, our, one of the top two teams them and Bishop Gorman, but uh, there's no way that the NIAA could ever sanction a game with a, with a team. Now, they, it hadn't got that far yet with the Sycamore Trees, that's what I call them. Uh, it, it, first of all, when you bring up this whole ESPN thing, they, they have to have people researching and say, well, who's your leading uh, rusher? What's the passing percentage? They didn't get any of that, so this Paragon really sold them a bill of goods, but for the most part, they play. They have some of the best high schools playing each other. So uh, somebody dropped the ball, and uh, it's uh, it's very sad. I feel bad uh, that that these things happen, but they they do. Uh, IMG can't play in every state. They, they I don't think they can play in California or Texas anymore. That they their federations don't want them to play because. They have some of the best kids in the country playing, and it's not fair to the uh, local high schools. Mm-hmm. But uh, they did play Liberty here last year, and Liberty played them pretty good for a half. Mm-hmm. 
Mark, what are your thoughts about this? Because we've seen high school sports really take a big turn over the last couple decades where you have these academies now, you know? And again, it's really not a fair playing field, you know, with the public schools. And under, and you have other, you know, private schools usually have, you know, very, uh, a lot less enrollment. And there are a lot of private schools that can't compete because they just don't, they, they don't have, uh, you know, the bodies or they don't have the facilities. But if you have a rich private school like a Bishop Gorman, and then you could build uh, a huge enrollment, then you can, you can compete here. But let's, let's be very clear. These academies are totally different than Bishop Gorman. And now, you know, Liberty uh, is a public school here in Las Vegas, and they basically built it, uh, you know, their, their powerhouse programs the right way. But I want you to speak to the academies and some of these offshoot, uh, you know, things that have become basically, you know, university-driven. Well, for the most part, this happens much more in basketball. It's pretty hard to, uh, to do one of these, these kind of things with 30 or 40 kids. But basketball, you get a couple of uh, big kids and, and you can be competitive. But uh, I, I think this is much more rare in, in football. Uh, it's somebody could get really hurt. There's there's no excuse for it except it's about money, and uh, I, I have no idea what the uh, Sycamore Bishop Sycamore got for this game, but they got something, and that's their whole idea. And uh, but somebody didn't research it, and that's really what the problem is. And I'm sure that'll come out. And yeah, I'm I, I, I'm against it obviously, and I don't want this to happen. But uh, there's a lot of unscrupulous people, too. Mark, you mentioned the fact of, you know, in a game like this, somebody could get hurt. And I don't know if you would know this or not, but if that were to happen, if a kid, unfortunately, something happened and somebody did get hurt in the game, what would be the recourse for that kid or his family or whatever uh, playing a football game that's for a school that doesn't even exist or whatever? I mean, is are the coaches liable? Is somebody else? Would ESPN, since they booked it, or do you have any idea what would happen in that kind of situation? Because luckily it sounds like that hasn't happened yet, but it almost seems like something that is, is bound to happen if this kind of stuff continues. Well, it's, an, it's what I would call a non-sanctioned game. Uh, certainly... The, in the state of Ohio, there's a high school federation, and uh, but I would think if there were lawsuits, they would put everybody in it uh, who could possibly be in it, and, and that's what happens. And uh, I don't know if there's any money there. Uh, you said the coach got fired, and uh, but yeah, it could be a very libelous situation where uh, somebody could get hurt. And, uh, I, I think you'll see it much more stringent from now on, and I, I would seriously doubt if this will ever happen on. Uh, Certainly not on ESPN anymore. You know, we you, you mentioned this happens in basketball, and actually, you know, we do have. Uh, I guess I don't want to say a similar, you know, uh, situation because it's not. But you have Finley Prep that you know a lot of people who don't know about Finley Prep they just assume well here's these kids that are coming from all over the country they're they're coming here to play basketball um you know the the, the facilities are are not the same as as is a regular school so what type of experience i mean have you had dealing with those type of issues here in Las Vegas uh Finley Prep did everything right uh, the only thing that they they couldn't do was play uh uh, league games with with the uh, 4A schools, but every year they played an exhibition with Bishop Gorman. Uh, I think they played at the South Point fact, yes. with, with yep. big crowds. Yep. But um, it, they did have school there. It, it was at uh, one of the uh, Christian schools, so there, there was schooling every day. It was accredited by the NIAA, and uh, they did do everything right. They did have some some players that went through there that are still in the pros even. But um, but there are some ones around there, that, not here maybe, but in other places, yeah, it's uh, unscrupulous. Uh, the best thing that's happened is the G League. Now these kids don't have to go to, uh, uh, to, to a college and, and not really go and just play a semester and quit. Now they can get paid right out of high school and, and go there, and I'm, I'm really for that. If they don't want to be in school and they want to play, then that's the way it should be. How much of, a, of an unfair advantage do you think it is, you know, for these public schools or the private schools that are there for the academic purposes 
to you know when they play these these powerhouse teams. Even though, like I said, hey, Bishop Gorman may be doing it right, and Finley Prep, you know, they they were doing it right. But then you know you're you're talking about you know a lot of the mismatches that we have. I mean, we see scores in football that uh, that just you know are seventy two to nothing, and that we have the running clock and that sort of thing. We see it in basketball too, where teams will, will lose by a hundred points. Talk a little bit about that that aspect, and, and and what can we do to clean that up? Well, it's it, it's it's a problem because uh, there are certain teams, uh, whether it's here or anywhere else, that are better than others, and that, that's why you do have running clock. But uh, not everything will be equitable when it comes to talent, and in uh, and, and certain cities, different different areas of the city, or they have better players, and it, it's 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 a problem. But uh, I think what you want to do in a city like Las Vegas, and we have, I think, thirty-two high schools. You want to aspire to be uh, to be a Liberty or a Bishop Gorman. I think that's your goal. And I always remember Palo Verde. Uh, they, they they their whole goal was, hey, we want to get better. We want to play these, these Gorman, and they beat them. But it's maybe it's eight or nine years ago. And then Gorman went on this big winning streak. But uh, I think what happens is once you're really good, then then sixth graders and seventh graders want to go to that school too, and the parents push them that way. So uh, it just and schools that have good athletic followings and uh, kids want to go there. There's no getting around it. And, and then parents say, hey, maybe I can get a scholarship for my kid. If he goes there, he'll be seen more. Mm-hmm. And that's You're never going to be able to stop that. And that's everywhere in the country. There's always private schools versus public schools almost in every town. And private schools may not have to have zoning the same as the public. So uh, I don't foresee that ever changing. All right, Mark Ratner joins us and uh, you know talking again about uh, the story that we talked about yesterday in our Terrible Tuesday segment with Bishop Sycamore. Uh, keeping it local here, Mark, uh, high school football season is, is back here. Fans are attending. And uh, I know that uh, we heard the story about Cheyenne High School has a, a female football player, I believe even a quarterback, correct? Yep. Yeah. Uh, Correct. Give give us your thoughts uh, on this. Is this controversial at all? Uh, Not to me whatsoever. Uh, We also have uh, some uh, girls wrestling in in some uh, in some schools who have wrestled boys in lower weights. So uh, no, I'm thrilled that uh, she was able to play and play quarterback. And uh, uh, there's no rules against it, and uh, it's fine. When, when it comes to her playing the quarterback position, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be some people out there. We talked about injuries and somebody getting hurt before, but uh, if she wants to play the position, because from what I understand, and I don't know if I have this right or not, but there were some stories out there that basically they asked who wanted to play quarterback, and she was the first one that threw up her arm in that and said she was willing to do it. So I know Cheyenne's not expected to be a very good team this year, but it is interesting, and it's also we've seen girls as kickers in that before, are you surprised to see a girl play a skill position, especially at the quarterback position in high school football, or did you think it was just a matter of time before this eventually was going to come to fruition? No, I always uh, I'm, I'm not surprised at all. Uh, what I don't know is the history. Maybe she's been playing Pop Warner and, and, and exhibited good throwing skills, and uh, so she may have had some experience in that regard. I just don't know. But uh, I find nothing wrong with it. Um, and uh, the Cheyenne coaches and the principal are, are happy with that. So uh, God bless her, and uh, I, I think it's it's a good sign. Yeah, uh, she's the quarterback, uh, uh, Kalea Plett. And I know Mark Anderson wrote a story about this, our good friend uh, from the Las Vegas uh, Review-Journal, and he said that on her first drop-back pass on Saturday – uh, that she was a leveled by a linebacker from Clark High School. So I think a lot of people obviously concerned about you know the safety of uh, someone like that. And again, we saw it at the college level. We've seen it at the high school level. We saw it, you know kickers, the the girl that, that kicked from uh, from Vanderbilt last year as well too. But we also saw her run immediately off the field as well too. This is a quarterback who's sticking in the pocket and she's playing you know competitive. You know, high school football here uh, as well. So, I mean, I, I think it's great. We've seen, you know, uh, um, you know, uh, females, girls play, uh, you know, baseball and other sports like Mark said, you know, wrestling, that sort of thing. And let's remember, Mark, I mean, we're talking about this. I mean, there was no better pitcher than Tatum O'Neill in Bad News Bears. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. Amanda Wurlitzer. Remember that one, Mark. That's who that was. 
Her and Kelly Leak, they took they take the Bears all the way to the title. Bears should have won that game against the Yankees, by the way. Uh, they needed to play another half hour. Yeah. That's all it would have taken. <laughs> that darn Buttermaker. Buttermaker cost him, Mark. <laughs> but, you know, when you talk about, and, and, and I'm glad it reminded me one of my pet peeves in, in boxing. Hmm. Clarissa Shields is one of the best female boxers in the world, two-time Olympic champion. And she's still fighting two-minute rounds. There is no excuse. And, and she finally right. did an MMA fight at five-minute rounds. But there is no excuse why women's boxing is still fighting two-minute rounds. And uh, if our MMA girls can fight five-minute rounds, there must be nothing wrong with that. And, and I'm an advocate for three-minute rounds for female boxing around the country. And I've been pushing this for now 10 years, and I'm going to keep doing it. And there's just no, no rhyme or reason against it. So I just wanted to bring that up. And I totally agree with you, 100%. It should be three-minute rounds. Yeah, I agree with you as well. But it does lead me into another thing that people have speculated for a while. Because when we're talking about the girl from Cheyenne playing high school football, it's a girl playing in a boys' sport. There's not a girls' team, but she's playing quarterback for the boys' team. When it comes to combat sports like MMA, like boxing and that, do you ever foresee a day when women and men will compete against each other? Or do you think that's something that organizations and states and that are not going to legislate and we're just not going to see it regardless of how good the women might, the, the woman might be in that particular weight class? Uh, well, I can say uh, unequivocally it will not happen in that. It's, it's, it would be against the regs. Uh, I don't foresee it happening in, in the United States, where there's uh, combat commissions, uh, could it happen in a foreign country? More than likely it could, but uh, no, I, I, I think that's a different story. Uh, and uh, I just don't foresee it happening. And I, I certainly uh, it will not happen at the UFC, that's for sure. All right. He is Mark Ratner, NIAA Officials Association for so many years. Of course, the former executive director of the Nevada State Athletic Commission. And, of course, his current job he's been doing, gosh, for quite some time now, the director of regulatory affairs. I love saying that uh, with the uh, UFC. Give us some UFC news, Mark. What do you got for us? Uh, every Saturday we have fights here at our Apex Arena. It's, it's mm-hmm. unbelievable how busy we've been. Even since last May, we've already done about 70 fights, and that's last May of last year. So we never slowed down. Uh, we're going back to Abu Dhabi uh, October 1st. I thought maybe it's a little later in October. And uh, the next out-of-town fight will be, will be in New York City. And we're uh, just looking forward to going back to the Garden. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's still exciting, still fun. And uh, uh, this week we have a fighter named Darren Till fighting here. That's going to be a just a big fight. So, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's an exciting time here at the UFC. And uh, I just saw Dana walking around smiling. That's always a good sign. <laughs> yeah, and, of course, the, uh, the, the, the contender show, the fight shows back on TV and getting ready. Uh, I've been watching the fight cards every weekend uh, from the Apex Center or wherever else. But how important is it and how gratifying is it, again, to be able to have cards at T-Mobile Arena and here in the big venues in Vegas again. And I know that at some point uh, you guys are going to be invading Allegiant Stadium. You just want to get that right big fight for that card or whatever. But uh, whether they're at the Apex or any place else, I, I know me and my friends, we get together. We watch every one of them. Well, uh, thank you for that. And uh, I think there will be a day if you have the right fighters at, at Allegiant. I, it won't be this year, but uh, certainly uh, – it, it could happen. It just uh, you need a confluence of uh, of the right fighters. But um, no, that's uh, it's exciting. Uh, we love being at home. Uh, I, I still like to travel a little bit when we do. But um, uh, the apex has been such a godsend for us. We never dreamt that we'd be using it every week for fighting. We just thought that it would be a good place. But uh, we built it, and uh, it's it's been wonderful. When was the last time you checked your frequent flyer miles? I mean, you've got to have a, over a million by now, right? Oh, well, probably. I haven't checked for a while because, See? remember, we weren't flying for a while. Yeah, that's true. But, okay. Uh, but uh, the furthest I've been, I think, uh, we did have some fights in Jacksonville. So I, <laughs> I went there, and I went to Houston a couple, about a month ago. So uh, yeah. a few miles, but um, not like it was when I was going to Europe a lot. That's right. But, you, and um, I, you and I were in Houston at the same time. I didn't even think about that. While you were over at the Toyota Center, I was over at Minute Maid Park. 
We should have hooked up. I can't believe I, I just thought of that. I, I asked you if you saw Dana down there when you were down there. Of and course. I drove oh, right by there. there, too. Yeah. I, Mark, you'll love this. I drove right by the Toyota Center as I made my way to College Station because Astros had a night game. And I said, hey, I, I got to go to A&M. And I got a chance to go to Kyle Field. So I know you could appreciate that. I, I do because I refereed a game there with uh, A&M in Utah. I think Alex Smith was a quarterback for that wow. in those days. Wow. And, and – uh, I just remember they had this, uh, to me, A&M was such a big thing because they had this nighttime rally and all all the cadets are there. And, uh, yeah, it was a very special place for me to referee at College Station. So that's one of my uh, fondest memories. Speaking of very special places, I got to ask you, what is the vibe like at Fight Island? I mean, it just seems like it would be the coolest thing ever. Um, Well, this time we're going to have more fans. The protocols are very strict there. But uh, I think it's going to be uh, – when you're on the island itself, you can't go anywhere. I mean, it's it's quarantined off. So I've been there before the uh, the pandemic, and uh, there, it was very cool to, be, to to look around there. I even got to ride a camel. Like, uh, you know, I went, <laughs> had a tour there. Hump day! But, um, <laughs> I, I just but w- um, no, it, it's a, a beautiful country and uh, has a big – man-made lake-type ocean there. So right on the, uh, I don't know what, what it, it's, it's not in the Mediterranean, but it's there's a lot of water there. I know that. And very humid and very hot. But um, it's a different way of life. But, um, yeah, Dubai and Abu Dhabi were uh, very cool to go to. I just want to know if you had any words or threw a flag on R.C. Slocum back in the day. That's what I want to know. Well, uh, and, and this, as long as you're asking me these memories, I had R.C. Slocum, uh, <laughs> A&M against Mississippi State. Is this is a good story for you? Great. Uh, with with Jackie Sherrill in the Independence Bowl. Uh-huh. Now that's, that's a big, Shreveport, big Louisiana, game. downtown Shreveport, yeah. uh-huh. and it's now they've never had snow there except for this night. It was on New Year's Eve. I never saw the field. I mean, it was snowing so hard that I, I had a paw to dirt. And, and R.C. said to me, he says, hey, uh, how do you know the guy's out of bounds? I said, coach, he landed next to you. I don't know. <laughs> I hope you're out of bounds. So, uh, but, uh, yeah, that's I, I, it's probably 20 years ago or 15 years ago. I can't remember when when I did this, the Independence Bowl. It wasn't quite as much fun as the Aloha Bowl. Right. What a difference. Very true. So I guess if he wasn't out of bounds, it would have been a flag on the coach for being on the field. That's right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I would have, <laughs> no, uh, but my biggest thrill, uh, as we're discussing football, was uh, BYU at Notre Dame with the leprechaun dancing around me and uh, 80,000 people. That was uh, – that was better than a bowl game. You got that right. Love that stadium. All right. All right, my man. We'll let you go. Uh, Ted Nugent. Uh, we'll let you get back to that. What's your Ted Nugent go-to song? I don't know. He's got so many is of Is it Cat them. Scratch uh, Fever? I, or what is it? Uh, no, Cat Scratch Fever is... Uh, I, I just heard that one uh, <laughs> probably 20 minutes ago. So All right. Uh, he's he's big. But I, you know, when it comes to rock, I'm still ACDC number one. Uh, okay. So I want you to know that. And, 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 with, and Metallica is my other other favorite. Of so. course. And being with the UFC, probably Stranglehold will be right up there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would be one. That's a good one. Absolutely. Yeah, see? There we go. So uh, there it is. How do we know that Mark Ratner was listening to Cat Scratch Fever at the beginning of this interview? Psychic man, I'm telling <laughs> the way you. It is. Right? There it is. Who, who knew? Who knew? I remember All when right, Randy man. Couture entered the uh, cage to Cat Scratch Fever over at the MGM Grand in one of the cards that I attended many go. years ago. Yeah, Stranglehold, Cat Scratch Fever. Can't beat it. Ted Nugent. All right, brother. Thank you very much, man. We'll look forward to seeing you uh, running the clock tomorrow night. Right? Uh, I, no? Uh, I'll, I'm, I'm going to work the uh, SCBYU game. Uh, I might be over there tomorrow. There you go. Okay. Well, yeah. All right. Don't forget. we got aces tomorrow, too, my friend. But I'll see you Saturday. How's that? There you go. I'll see you. All right. Have Very the popcorn good. ready for Thanks. Elysian Stadium. Save me some popcorn Saturday, okay? That's even better. All right. Take Thanks, you. guys. There he is. Mark Ratner, the, the marvelous one. And it, it, I did I did say stranglehold that Randy Couture came into, right? Yeah, that's what he came into. Well, you said cats got feet okay, first. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, then, yeah, 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 yeah. It was stranglehold that Randy came into yeah, the cages. And you know, when we're talking about the men and women fighting each other, I know Ellie May used to beat up Jethro all the time, so it could happen sometime. She would dominate him. Are you oh, kidding? She, she would whoop his butt down by the cement pond. How, how about when Granny got in the ring?
Granny wrestled, if you remember that. Oh, Granny. She got in the ring. Granny had, she, 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 as Jed used to say, she had a mean left hook. (laughs) Speaking of mean left hooks, Al Bernstein joins us next. This is Showtime, Sean Porter. You know I'm tuning in to the T.C. Martin Show. All right, we keep it in the boxing family here a little bit, or at least the uh, the combat sports. We go from Marvelous Mark Ratner to our good friend Al Bernstein, who is fresh off a Cleveland, Ohio visit. The big question, Al, is was there a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame visit? You know, there was not. Uh, and the reason is because we got busy with meetings and things, and I just could, couldn't get over there. And you have to have a... a you actually have to have a reservation for a, a time to go there. Oh, wow. So it didn't work itself out. And uh, so in the future, uh, hopefully I'll go back to Cleveland and we'll uh, we'll check out the Hall of Fame. Have you been there before? No, I never have. So yeah. um, I would have you? No, I haven't. I've always wanted to. And I just kind of, yeah. as much as you travel, you know, I just figured, oh, Al's probably been in the yeah, music lover you know, that you are. I- yeah. I haven't been to Cleveland that much in yeah. recent years, and uh, I just um, so I didn't. I have not gotten there. Is, is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame the only thing from Cleveland that Jake Paul didn't have on his jacket? <laughs> <laughs> it was a pretty busy jacket, wasn't it? Yeah, I think they they let's put it this way. I think they maximized the um, branding opportunities, which would be you know in keeping with him. Jake Paul, Tyrone Woodley on Sunday. Al Bernstein was there. He's on the call. Um, Showtime pay-per-view. Al, what was your your view of the fight itself? Well, it was the first time that Jake Paul has faced uh, adversity in a fight. Uh, Tyrone Woodley was able to land some really good power shots. That in I think it was the third round or the fourth when he uh, he actually could have gotten credit for a knockdown Woodley because he hit. Um, Paul and Paul went backwards into the ropes and the ropes held him up. So all the referees that night were very inexperienced. Um, and uh, so for whatever that's worth, but that could have been called a knockdown and would have made that a two point round. Now it was a split decision though that that would not have affected the scoring of the fight in terms of making it for, uh, for Woodley, I don't think, but, uh, nonetheless, it was you know it, it could have been called that, and it was a, a fairly close fight. And Woodley, you know, I thought Paul probably deserved the decision, but Woodley did some very good things. He landed some power punches. Just ultimately wasn't quite busy enough, I don't think, to to get the decision. Yeah, it seemed to me like watching the fight that Woodley gained a little bit of confidence during it, especially like you mentioned after that third round there. But it was kind of like watching a competitive fight with two guys that aren't necessarily great boxers. Woodley kind of fought like an MMA guy to me a little bit, and Paul looked a little bit stiff. He said that his legs were a little bit uh, weird uh, in the dressing room going into the fight. So, But I think it was basically a getting challenged for the first time, like you mentioned. But I got to say, one thing that impressed me on the card was, even though there were some mismatches, I did enjoy the undercard a little bit. I, I thought there were some good fights, and, yeah, I, and, and and even the women's fight where where the one woman it was minus two twenty five hundred or whatever, but it was still a competitive, fun fight to watch. Yeah, yeah no, uh, Mercado put up a. I thought fought bravely and had her moments. Amanda Serrano is really good, and she fought exceptionally well in this fight. So Mercado is not a big puncher, so it was hard for her to to compete. Of course, we did have a. A really good competitive match in in the Montana Love Ivan Branchik fight. Even though Love ended up, you know, knocking him out, uh, there were some exciting moments in that fight. And uh, so the undercard was kind of fun. And as you point out, there were some that were kind of one sided, but in a kind of interesting way. Tommy Fury did not perform that well, even in winning. And uh, the question, I guess, is what does that do to his chances of fighting? Um, Jake Paul next, which is what they were kind of shooting for. Um, does does that make him any less marketable and quote unquote or not? We heard Al that there, you know, after the fight was over, Woodley says, "Hey, there's going to be a rematch." He wanted a rematch, and then yesterday we hear news that oh, Jake Paul said he's done. He's done with boxing. So what's going on well, here? What, what do you know? 
he recanted that. He he was you know he said retired boxer, then he recanted it. So he's not he's not done with boxing. But um, whether he'll fight Woodley, of course, afterwards we we were all privy to uh, high level negotiations on the air about whether um, if if uh, Woodley got the um, tattoo that he was supposed to get because he lost the bet uh, would. Uh, uh, you know, Paul's saying, I'll give you a rematch if you definitely get the tattoo. I don't know if the tattoo has been, and it was the tattoo that said, I love Jake Paul. If Paul had lost, it would have been, I love uh, Tyrone Woodley. So, we'll, you know, we'll see if uh, if that comes to fruition. But I, I'm sure Jake Paul will be back in the boxing ring again. And, you know, they have a little work to do. He got tired a little bit in the fight. Um, his technique... Uh, Started to go a little bit south in the middle and later rounds. Although he did get, I have to give him credit for, you know, you have to give him credit for hanging in there and uh, and and for the first time facing something difficult and not completely losing his poise um, and and did come back in uh, in some of those rounds. Al, we know that this is a novelty. It's a niche audience. What's the longevity of these type of exhibitions, especially when we're dealing with non-boxers? I mean, these guys want to get in a boxing ring. They want to face each other. But again, again, you know, it's, it's usually UFC guys or it's, you know, musical artists or whatever. And I get it. Like I said, niche audience. But don't you think that it's it could be losing its luster a little bit, especially when we, we have performances like this? Well, I think, it, you know, to me, they're each – judge completely individually because the only reason this one works is because Jake Paul has this, you know, as I said at the outset of the show, he has this built-in constituency uh, from his branding and marketing uh, and his YouTube channel that will go watch him box. Now, how long will they go watch him box? I don't know. Uh, But they are right now going to watch him box. I don't know what the numbers are from this particular pay-per-view. The the way it was trending, it was going to do fairly well. Um, But how long will they continue to do that? And and, and how does that transfer to, let's say, Oscar De La Hoya against Victor Belfort? I don't know. You know, where does who are the fans for that one? Where do they come from? Are they MMA fans who are getting a kick out of seeing their guys boxing and are rooting for their guys to beat boxers? Um, does Oscar De La Hoya have a reservoir of fans that are desperate to see him back in the ring? You know, those are all questions, and they'll get answered each individually in these fights. Uh, and and it's conceivable that the whole idea may lose or gain steam as an idea, but I, I have a feeling it, it depends more on the individuals involved. How committed is, is Showtime as a network uh, with these type of things? Well, they have a deal with Jake Paul uh, for a couple, I don't know the nature of the, how many fights it's for, uh, but they did sign a deal with him uh, because they felt he would, I, I, I guess, because they, they felt they could do a couple of successful pay-per-views with him. Uh, the Logan Paul pay-per-view fight with Mayweather that was on Showtime was got almost a million buys, or it did get a million buys. So that one more than paid for itself. This one, I don't know what the numbers are. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, the one thing I want to say, too, is that, uh, you know, I don't know if everyone will agree with this, but I thought we were pretty honest in the way we dealt with it on the air. You know, we didn't try and make it more than it was. We didn't diminish it. We didn't, uh, I think we treated it with, of course, most of the fights before, all the fights for the main event were regular boxing matches, so they deserved our our, uh, respect and attention, and we tried to give that to the Paul Woodley fight as well. So um, I, I don't know, you know, how long, even Steven Espinosa said it in an interview, you know, they had a showtime just before. He said, we don't know what the longevity of this is, uh, but we feel like at this moment it's, it, you know, it's something that we can be involved in. You know, one thing that I thought was interesting during your guys' commentary of the fight, and a lot of people throw a lot of shots at Jake Paul and because the Paul brothers, because they aren't fighters and they're Instagram and social media stars and that. But I was a little, little bit impressed when they mentioned the fact when you guys talked about that Jake Paul took less money in this fight to uh, 
actually give more to the undercard than that to try to legitimize the card a little bit more. Now, I don't know if that was his idea, if it was Showtime insisting to make it more of a competitive fight in that, but it does show to me that we know that he does work out in the ring, that he wants to take himself seriously as a boxer. He wants to get better. I don't know how good he can ever be. I don't see him being a great boxer, but when I see somebody like that, and I know he wanted to fight in Cleveland as well, but I was a little bit impressed that he's going like, look, if I do want to sustain this and make it keep on going on, I've got to legitimize it around me. And if that was true, then then I say kudos to Jake Paul for uh, for doing that. Yeah, look, you can say a lot of things about Jake Paul, but the one thing that is a certainty is he respects the sport of boxing. Now, some people may say, how can you say that? You know, his very presence is somehow an insult to it. You know, I and mean, some people have that viewpoint. But I think as a human being, he respects boxing, and when he's around all these fighters, he treats them with respect. The point you made that he took less, uh, you know, although he can gain that back on the back end, certainly, but he he wanted to make sure that the event was um, had, uh, you know, a had good boxing on it, and uh, and he wanted to see these boxers perform. I also think, you know, the fact that he was wanted to have a high-level women's fight on there, uh, and he has great respect for Amanda Serrano, and uh, that was evident as well. So, you know, there, that part of it, I think, was, yep, he does get kudos for it because he wanted to, and, you know, listen, I participated in the last <laughs> Jake Paul event, which was decidedly different. Now, I'm not casting stones. You can do it however you want to do it. But that was a whole different approach, a whole different tenor to it. This was different. This had, you know, regular boxing all the way through, and it was treated as a regular broadcast. We had some fun with it, I think. Uh, we introduced some other people. Ariel did a really nice job uh, in Phoenix. And, you know, we had other things. I thought the features were fun. But, you know, we treated it differently. Yeah, and in the first one that you talked about, you compared you you were actually on a little bit of a contact high in comparison to on Sunday, right? There you go. I was. <laughs> I, I was going to say it on the broadcast, but then I, I right. thought better. Right. I, was gonna, I did say it in the fighter meetings when we got on the fighter meetings. I said that I must, when Jake Paul got on, I said, well. This will be the first fight I do with you where I don't have a contact guy. So. And it's kind of interesting, too, because as much as people were upset about Jake Paul's camp talking to Woodley's mother, you guys kind of made her a star of that show, too, with the feature and everything else and the hugs and everything. All of a sudden, she's well, kind of a household name. I thought that was a fun feature. And, you know, they didn't embellish that. You know, they those moms re- interacted that way. It was interesting, you know, and... Uh, I thought that was fun, you know. Yeah, and I said it on the broadcast. I said, I want to see a talk show with these two gals, you know. Al, what was the type of audience like in the arena? What I mean, again. <laughs> That's a big you, question. Yeah. What, what, who who yeah, was there and what type of audience? It skewed younger, a little younger. Uh, it was, I think, a lot of the people there were, some were, were hardcore regular boxing fans, but I think more were people that came out because of the event that came out because, I mean, number one, I'm going to be honest with you, no way did I think they were going to get 15,000 people at that event. Hmm. Some of that is, believe it or not, is owing to Tony Holden, who you probably don't know. He's a boxing promoter who promotes all around the Midwest and other places, and they brought him in as the promoter of record on this. And Tony Holden has a, a track record of putting people in the seats, and he used every one of his tried-and-true methods He's a true local promoter. So he took the message, he took the Jake Paul message and spread it and did a really good job. So I'm going to give him some credit for that. And, of course, the, the Jake Paul brand, I guess. But it was a slightly different crowd than, than, you, might, than you would normally see at a boxing match. Uh, not completely, but to some degree. All right, Al, before we let you go, real quick, I want to touch on a story we uh, brought up yesterday, too, regarding uh, Jamaro Charlo. You've called uh, many of his fights, uh, you know, before. Uh, gotten himself in some trouble, you know, at a bar. Uh, just wondering, how is this going to affect his next fight, or does it affect his next fight? Well, I don't know that it's going to, and I have to be perfectly candid. From the details I know of that incident, uh, 
I think it is a much less serious instance than some people are making it out to be. Uh, it was more of a misunderstanding. There was a lot of tension and, uh, you know, and, um, and emotion involved. But I honestly don't think it's going to be anything that's going to do something long-range to derail his career. After his last fight, he mentioned that he wanted to, to fight Triple G or Canelo. Do you think that's happening, or what do you think's next for him? Probably unlikely for both yeah. of them, but it, but he, you know, he needs he is the problem is he is very um, comfortable at middleweight. He came up from 154. He's not truly a 168 pound fighter, so he doesn't want to go up to that weight. But he may have to to fight Canelo or or or, or uh, Benavides, David right. Benavides, uh, Golovkin. I just can't see Golovkin signing on. He could, of course. They're both have versions of the middleweight championship. Golovkin and he would be a natural fight to make, but it's very, the boxing politics will probably get in the way of that. Right. So Jamal Charlo's in a, a, a pretty tricky spot about how he's going to go about the business of getting a, a major fight. Right. Al Bernstein, great stuff as always, my friend. Uh, great job uh, on the call on Sunday. And real quick, uh, what's next for you besides uh, singing with Kenny Davidson? We got that on October 8th, and I'm going uh, this week to Detroit uh, on Friday where I am going to be with Tony Harrison, the former 154-pound champion, at his super bad fitness gym. I'm going to be there on behalf of House of Boxing Champions, which is a charitable organization that gets um, safety equipment for boxers. And I am a spokesperson for that group. Uh, And if you want to find out more about it, then go to houseofboxingchampions.com. A wonderful organization, and I'm going to be there for a full day of fundraising and uh, raising awareness. And I'm uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, Tony Harrison, great, good fighter, good guy. That's great. And don't forget the Al Bernstein podcast, unplugged, right? Yeah, we got that one going too. There you go, brother. All right, Al, really appreciate the time. Thank you, man. Bye bye. There he is. Al Bernstein, uh, Showtime Championship Boxing, and uh, again, now doing a couple of these uh, Jake Paul. Uh, events. Yeah, he's done a couple of them. Does a good job on it, and uh, you know, it seemed like he was a little bit more relaxed and more in his wheelhouse this one because there was a legitimate card underneath it, and uh, you know, and and we definitely got to try to next time we do a music show, whether that's a year from now or whenever. But uh, we got to make sure that we can somehow coordinate around where Al can be part of it because, of course, he is the music man here in Vegas, and uh, yep. the lounges will tell you that. Like I said, yeah, he was all set for it, but he was on a plane the exact time that we were we were on uh, the air on Friday. So good stuff. I want to thank Eric Harper, the UNLV Interim Athletic Director, for joining us. Of course, Mark Ratner, longtime friend. Of course, Al Bernstein as well, too. Uh, great uh, guest list uh, today, and I uh, appreciate everyone for joining us there. Yeah, if, if you forget to uh, thank Mark, who's going to throw a flag on you. This is true. We know that because he's throwing flags at uh, some of the most iconic stadiums. Bigger names than us. That's it. (laughs) All right. uh, We're back at it again tomorrow. Look forward to that. And then Friday, Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas on Friday. We're back. We've got plenty of football to talk about, so come and join us on Friday. All right. If you miss any part of the show, you know where to go. TCMartinShow.com.